summer's over, the leaves are turning even browner than they were in August. Welcome back to It's Your Money, the Mayor Brown Sword podcast, where we make sense of personal finance, or at least Andy Mayer makes sense of it for me. I'm Andrew Harrison, and as ever, Andy is here with me. Hello, Andy, how are you? Very well, good afternoon. How was your summer then? Have you ever known a more tumultuous summer? Energy cost, interest rates, cost of living crisis, everything? I think if you'd have said to me two weeks ago, we'd have had a new prime minister and the passing of a 70 year monarch, I would never have got it all happening within a week. But that's the last couple of weeks. And it makes the rest of the summer look quite calm, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. Um, So this time around, we're going to be talking about a topic near to many people's hearts, how to be financially independent. If you strike it out on your own, perhaps you're retiring, or if you're younger, you're just leaving home, or maybe you're leaving a relationship, or maybe you just want to look at your own you know, personal financial robustness. Exactly how do you do it? And we've got with us someone who did just that. She's called Julia Woodman. Hello, Julia. How are you doing? Hi, Andy. How are you doing? All right. Not bad. So we're going to be talking about your story in detail a little bit later, but how, how did you come to be talking to Andy? What, what were you looking for in, in this area? I think um, I was in probably my late 30s and a good friend of mine was using Andy for independent financial advice. And I said to her, I've really got no idea what I'm doing. So she recommended Andy to me and I liked him and trusted him after having a couple of conversations. And that was because it it was that that moment of thinking, I'm going to be placing a large chunk of the money that I'm starting to get together with someone else. I've got to have some kind of understanding. And it was very much a personality thing as well. I had to feel comfortable with that person and trust though yeah yeah and uh, what what was your sort of personal financial situation then what were at what stage were you with your money i had worked for a number of corporate companies i'd got pension pots in different places and i'd also had my first mortgage which was i'd gone for an interest only mortgage and i wanted a vehicle to be able to pay it off at the end. So I wanted advice on how I could do that. Okay, well, we're going to talk about your story in a little bit more detail a bit later. But Andy, this this question of financial independence, we all have to do it a minimum of twice in our lives when we're kind of leaving the family home and when we're retiring. Often we need to do it more often than that. You're changing career. Maybe you are leaving a relationship. Maybe you're just deciding that you want to you know, become self-employed or look after your, your own fortunes. What do you mean by financial independence? I think, Andrew, what I'm, the point I'm trying to get to is that the amount of times I've seen people when they're planning go, well, my partner will get this, my partner will get that, my partner will get that. When you then look at people who are basing a lot of their retirement on their other income coming in, such as a state pension from their partner, if somebody dies before they've taken their state pension, it dies with them. Mm. <laughs> it's gone. If you can use some of the, your their national insurance credits towards your pot. But again, if somebody, if you get divorced or if you, but in the situation where somebody dies prematurely, a lot of people's plans go. And I've seen people say, well, we're going to get this pension from the state and we're both going to get 9,800 each. But if that person dies before that, you're not. Mm. And so you're dealing not just with the with the, the the massive shock and the trauma of being on your own, but also you know fifty percent of your income's gone. Yeah, and I again, there's certain stages in life when people have got young families and they go, "We're going to plan for this." But if one of them is a predominantly higher earner than the other, and that person either gets ill mm. or dies, their whole future has gone. And we're, we're trying to get people to understand that having your own plan as well as a joint plan 
that you're financially independent if something happens to the person you're in a financial relationship, an emotional relationship with, you can survive that mm. on your own. Because like you say, we've unfortunately had to deal with people who've lost loved ones and the trauma is brutal. But it's less brutal when they financially wake up and go, I'm okay, we don't have to sell the house. I can still retire at 58. The children can still go to university because they've got a plan in place if something tragic did happen. So what for you then are the, are the main pillars of financial independence? Because it's not just savings and cash. I am going to take a wild guess and say you're going to say that. <laughs> no, I think one of the things is, is to start saving early. And it's really, I mean, I've got my daughter. She's just got an internship. And in a year's time, she hopefully graduates and get her own job. And I've said to her, when you start work, it doesn't matter what you put into in your individual savings account. It could be 20, 30, 40 pound a month, but you need to save. But I insured her when she was 18, just gone to university and wasn't drinking like she is now and going out. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a quarter of a million pound of critical illness for her for 30 pound. Now, in 10 years time, when she's 28, mm. drinking more, different lifestyle, that premium will be closer to 100 to 150. I think I'd be lucky to get uh, thirty pounds worth of critical insurance for a quarter of a million quid. The way things are now, but but you know, but that means that if something happens to her, she has an ability to have a lump sum come in. And when she gets a job, I want to make sure that she goes, Dad. If I get long term sick here, there is a benefit because that will allow her, if she's ill, not to have to ring me and go, I need some money, and it will allow her to go. If I get ill, I can still make the plans I wanted to make for holidays and maybe buy a house. I just read recently that uh, on one of the government's own websites that the average level of savings in the UK is £500 a year. Scared the hell out of me. <laughs> no, seriously, Andrew, I've come across people who've got more on credit card debt than they have in savings. And when you look at how the interest rates in this country are going up, mm. and we look at mortgage rates, but there's been very little written about how credit card borrowings are going to go up hmm. and loan payments that come into an end of a term are going to go up. Business loans are going to go up. So having slush fund, rainy day money, emergency fund, it doesn't matter where you have it, but you need to have it. And some people never start. It's one of the reasons I asked Julia on because her story is great. Hmm. Some people never start saving and some people have this mentality that, Somebody will die and leave the money. They'll win the lottery. Mm. Or it's just going to magically appear, and it doesn't. Well, let's, let's come over to Julia, but before we talk about inflation, I mean, you, you've told us how you kind of got to a stage in your life when you thought it's, it's kind of time to start taking charge of this, or to at least take a kind of a systematic overview and get some proper mm -hmm. advice from, from Andy. Tell us more about that. You know, what before you got the advice, where were you saving and how were you saving and, and how did the advice change that? Um, I think there's, there's a couple of things. You know, a lot of it came from my parents. Mm. My parents are divorced. They got divorced in the late 80s. And my mum had to live by herself and she had to buy a house. Mm. And when she bought a house, she was she did a similar. She was a secretary, gone back to work after bringing up kids. She went back to work and um, she had to buy a house when interest rates were about 15 percent. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I remember that so well because, you know, although 
it didn't mean a great deal to me. I remember my mum talking about what a struggle it was, you know, how the hell are you going to do this? You know, I'm worrying. And it's and it's funny because I didn't buy a house after that for probably, it was probably another 20 years. It was 20 years. Did that put the fear in you, or that what, those conversations? Not really, no, but it just, it stuck with me. Whatever happened, you know, when I bought my flat, I was, as I say, about 36, I remember thinking interest rates could go that high. They were, I don't know, four or five percent, I think, at that time. But I just remember thinking, I want to, when I get a mortgage and I'm doing this by myself, if interest rates did go up to 15%, I want to be in a position that I could still pay that. You know, so it would very much kind of encapsulated what I wanted. But, you know, I was always going to be careful. I was never going to push myself. And my dad, the other side of that, so that was that was my mum. My dad has, you know, always brought me up to talk about money, but also he's incredibly, he's very safe and he's he's pretty frugal. Mm. You know, he's a, a, an 82, 83-year-old man, so he's from a, you know, a war child. So he, he's, yeah, he's very frugal. An 82-year-old man is very frugal. Are you sure he's not my dad? It sounds like my dad. <laughs> I will tell you one little story, just how frugal he is. They have gone away for their first holiday today in three years. He lives down in Bristol now. He's gone to Mallorca on holiday. He's got a heart condition, not being particularly well, but, it, but you know, he, he, he's pretty fit. But he got on a bus last night at three o'clock in the morning at the end of his road to get to the airport to save bloody money. He's a man after my own heart. Your dad. This is this. I love stories like this. Actually, funny. If you reminded me, actually, when I was uh, when I was a kid, I remember talking to my mum because my my parents are self employed. They had uh, butcher shops in Liverpool, and um, I remember talking to we talked we did talk quite a lot about money when I was a kid. And I remember my mum saying, "What you got to remember is money is freedom. It's not money. Money is not there to indulge yourself. Money's not there to kind of show off. Money is being sure that nobody can tell you what to do." And that really stuck in my head as a kind of a good mm. definition of it, you know, as up against the kind of, oh, you know, money corrupts, money is root of all evil. Kind of, well, not really. It's an enabler. So you've been, you've, you were brought up with good, uh, you know, good money ethics. Did you have a kind of a, a vision of what financial independence would, would mean when you came to talk to Andy? Probably not entirely, no. Probably not entirely. Uh, Andy helped crystallize that um, a lot. And just, you know, he sat down with me and sort of said, you know, what do you want to achieve? And I knew I wanted my pensions collated. I wanted to be able to pay off the mortgage at the end of it. But I also knew that the vehicle it was in, it was in a, um, a an ISA and it wasn't doing anything. It was going up. So I wanted to be able to see, you know, I wanted this have someone look at my ISA and have it make more money. Mm. But also... I wanted something, it was it was about seven years ago, I think, and I wanted something that was sustainable, that, that wasn't going to go into fags or booze or anything like that. I wanted something that was going to work both for me and for other people. But without, I, I wanted something that was that was good. So, uh, so you're invested in what Andy always calls the ESG funds? Exactly, yeah. I think I was only his second ever client that ever went that way. I think it, it was, I was yeah. certainly an early adopter. All oh, right. Yeah, you, you were very, very early. But what's interesting, Andrew, especially in the light of the world we live in now where people in the Ukraine are being bombed and there is a war going on, Julia knows that her money is not helping that. Yeah. And it is, yeah. it, and it is an absolutely, it's one of her independent values that she wants to be able to invest in a way that helps the world. And my daughter, when I said, we're going to set this vehicle up for you for saving, she said, 
I want it to be something that doesn't destroy the world. So we went down the environmentally social governed portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's remarkable the way that sort of sustainable energy has moved in a year from <laughs> this is what hippies like to this is a weapon of national security. And, you know, it's, it's a completely different uh, political appeal. Do you have sort of friends and contemporaries who are maybe not in your position who haven't made that that kind of leap to thinking about the importance of financial independence? Yeah, I think, um, again, I live, um, I now live down in Hove. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting, uh, you know, I'm 55 now. And it's interesting watching a lot of sort of my contemporaries or slightly older uh, w- women down here that suddenly find themselves in a situation that maybe marriages are broken down and they don't, uh, you know, they don't have, they're starting to look poor later on in life because they weren't maybe aware. And, you know, it's heartbreaking. For me, it's really heartbreaking because it's kind of just because, you know, I know in my twenties, I just, I didn't think too much about money. You know, it's, I think so many people do exactly that unless you've got a parent, you know, and although my dad was saying to me, I, I was lucky I had pensions, always worked for corporate companies, always had pensions. So I knew I kind of had yeah. that as a as a as a base. But yeah, no, just seeing so many women now, you know, family as well that are going through divorce and having to say to them, you know, the mentality has been that the husband has looked after the finances and they've run the house or done, you know, maybe not a career job as such. And um yeah, they're in all kinds of problems all kinds of trouble and I find that really heartbreaking because all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you are in your mid-50s and all of a sudden your earning capacity has kind of gone away so yeah is there a particular thing that you in, that you enjoy doing that kind of sums up financial independence I mean other activities or, or, or is it just the kind of satisfaction of looking at this stuff and knowing that it's unlikely to go catastrophically wrong do you know what? That's the biggest thing, but it's knowing that kind of, you know, I want to, I will be mortgage free. I mean, I'm kind of, I know there's enough in my current um, stocks and shares ITA that would pay my mortgage off. So, you know, that's, that's kind of comforting. I mean, I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to have holidays that, you know, uh, I balance it in the way that, you know, I have, I have nice holidays now. I do kind of, I don't go mad. I'm not a kind of, uh, but I have, I do a lot of research. I'm an executive assistant, mm-hmm. so I know about hotels, I know about restaurants, I know how to, you know, I'm I'm, I'm my father's daughter, I'm pretty frugal, <laughs> I still know yeah. how to have a good time, you know. Yeah. You're probably like me, no matter what happens, you're still looking for the yellow labels in the supermarket. The whole nation's <laughs> looking for the yellow labels at the moment. I know, I feel, I feel bad about picking them up, actually. Andy, I want to ask you, I mean, obviously we're, we're living through the first resurgence of inflation on a grand scale in like, you know, 30 years or something. What does that mean for when people are planning their financial emancipation? I mean, is there, <laughs> is there a way to play it in a high infl- inflation environment and come off okay? I think the next two years will be very difficult for most people f- for investments because the stock markets really don't like inflation when it's above 5%. So we can see globally it's above 5%. I think the key part of this is that when markets are volatile, and at the moment they are volatile, it's a great time to buy, but you have to look at that long-term perspective, because if you look at the short term, it's it's a bit scary. And with inflation at 10%, 12% in some areas, and no country or government or central bank can turn inflation off like that. It's not a quick fix. And 
for people looking down the road, if you're paying £500 into your pension or your ISA, you need to be increasing it by 10% if you're paying 200 or 100 to keep it with real what it was you were previously paying. But it is difficult when we're doing projections for people on cash flows because if you were projecting inflation at 2% for the rest, which it looked like it would be, it was quite easy to say to people, you've got enough. If you look at inflation at, say, 10% this year, maybe 10% next year, maybe 5% and then going to 3 it does make the figures different considerably. So it, it means it's harder to plan. You have to sort of yeah. every year look at it and make an adjustment. But the key thing is, I think sometimes people base their future on what will the stock market do? Or actually, if you look at what your expenditure is, and there are certain pockets that people need to sort of look at now and go, can I do that? What direction is government policy moving in then on on saving and, and, and personal investment? And presumably in a high inflation environment, they want to encourage saving and discourage spending. But what's going on? I think we were all waiting for this announcement from the new prime minister and the new chancellor. And then the tragic events of the yeah. monarch dying has put everything back. So I suspect in the next podcast, we'll have a better indication of what they're doing. But it it is going to be incredibly difficult because when you hear about the energy cap, that's fine, but we're still going to pay the energy companies back over a 10-year period and they're still making their money. So it's not the government paying the energy companies back. It's all of us listening on this podcast. It does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I, I think load. that's very important that we sort of get that across. That It doesn't matter what government policy is, unless they'd have cut that, all of us, the three of us on this podcast, are contributing to that loan that we've got. Is it possible to say there's an order of priority in which you should address these things? Is it like, okay, full pension first, then ISA, then this, or does it vary from person to person? Yeah, it does vary from person to person, depending on state pensions. Some people love their job. Some people don't see retirement as an option. They just want to keep working, maybe less in a different way. Other people's not so much and they want to get out earlier, but they might be reliant on the state pension, but they might want to leave their job at 62. So it's building other savings pots. So it does, it is very individual. Yeah, I've been convinced for as long as I can remember that the state pension is going to consist of a lollipop and a bottle of pop if you're lucky. And so I've always planned around the idea that there's not going to be any of it. I The state pension, I think it's a vote loser if someone gets rid of it. But I think, what I think a state pension gives you is if you've got independence away from the state, that's a lovely bonus of 9,800 if it turns up, right? Mm. But if you rely solely on that, it's going to be difficult. I think which, and this was a nationwide study, they worked out a comfortable retirement as a couple, you needed £41,000 per annum income. So if you sort of said you were both fit and healthy, you both had full state pensions, that's just under nine, well, just under 20 coming in. You've got to find another 21000 a year. Mm. But again, my point goes back to that's fine if you're both fit and healthy. And then depends on what happens with health and your spending. And it, it very much, it is to do with what people's expenditure is, how they can control it, what's their luxury items. Do they want a new car every year? Do they want to go to the Maldives in a five-star resort? Or do they want to go hill walking in the Peak District or the lakes? It's, it's your expenditure that has a massive impact on when you're able to retire. Well, Julia, just to wrap up, I mean, you've you've kind of been through this experience and I'm feeling pretty good about it. What is the, what's the main piece of advice 
that you would give, apart from Ringo Bandy, which the <laughs> listeners don't need to hear because they already know him? I think it's just, I'm coming at it from the point of view of being a woman. Um, but if you're, just make sure you know everything that's going on in both your worlds, you know, as a matter, if you're in a relationship, that you know both ways what's going on and that you if you can make make yourself financially independent of your husband, it's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, we all want our relationships to last forever and hopefully they will. But also just start early and think about things from your point of view as well would be my, you know, stay stay as independent as you can. Um, it's not a bad thing. As Destiny's Child told us, independent <laughs> woman. <laughs> Paying her own bills, bills, bills. Anyway. That's the end of the podcast. I think we've covered a lot there. So, uh, listeners, thanks for listening. Julia, thanks for joining us from Hove. You're very welcome. From Hove, actually. And enjoy your freedom from worry. And Andy, <laughs> good to talk to you, as as always. What, what What's your plans now that uh, everything's back in action for the autumn? Well, I will have a glass of whiskey tonight to celebrate. It's, as we're recording this, it's the 12th of September when we're recording this. This is the anniversary of when our office went on fire and they are starting to repair it 12 months in. So hopefully when I do the next podcast with you, Andrew, we can actually say to people that most of the repairs have been done. But I'm Excellent. not 100% convinced. Okay, we'll cross our fingers. Listeners, we'll be back in a month's time with more hints and tips. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favourite app. Remember, charging your phone costs only 85p a year and podcasts are free. They are your best entertainment option for this challenging autumn. Warm your hands around an iPhone. Thanks for listening. Hope you found it useful and we'll see you next time. <laughs>